0: hello everyone it is saturday the 9th of july 2022 you are listening to new game Old flame i'm your host andy and i'm joined by diego Hello, Retro Gamers. It's still very, very cold in England. Uh, For my standards, it is probably 10 degrees and I am not happy with it. Uh, I want a hot summer, not a cold summer. Britain, do something better than this. How's it over there? I am actually quite enjoying the weather right
1: now. It's been unusually hot here in Finland, about 30 degrees for at least a week. That's very hot for our standards. But now it's back to a very... Traditional Finnish summer, like 20 degrees with rain showers here and there. Which for me, it's perfect. Perfect.
0: (laughs) God, no, no. Well, you listeners don't know, but we have met up quite recently in Italy. It was um, quite a reunion after so many years that we didn't see each other. So that was pretty nice. But since then, what, what have you been up to, Diego? Well, not much really. I've just
1: been back from holidays just a few days ago so back to work no no real time to play to be honest during the the trip of course
0: what what about you uh well i've been on holiday a bit like yourself and yes i've been to italy obviously and i've seen you it was really nice we met at my parents house and Diego came over with his dad and it was really, really nice. And what did we do in the end? (laughs) We just started playing. As soon as we could have five minutes alone, we played a game immediately. And we played that famous text adventure that Diego was mentioning, I think, uh, one episode ago. Aventura nel castello or uh, Adventure in the Castle for for English people. And castle from people from Nottingham. I have a little comment to make on that because I thought I, I would tell you, but I would tell you while we're actually recording. So we played this game. This game is a text adventure. And being a text adventure, you have to type things in and and discover, go north, south, and it's a 3D one. So you basically go up and down, and then you've got the four cardinal points. The best bit of me and, and you playing t- together was that we created that map. You were drawing the map while I was exploring all the all the castle and finally got past the point where I splat myself out of the airplane. But um, once you're in the castle, I think it's really nice. Like, it made me use my imagination, which is a thing that I haven't done in a long time. And while you were drawing the castle, some, somewhat subconsciously, I was imagining the castle myself. And how the, the four towers looked like. And and when they, I think there was hyenas at the beginning. Or some the, the wolves, the wolves that got in the castle. that, And it let, left me with a very warm and cozy feeling. I thought it was really good, to be honest. And I wasn't expecting myself to enjoy it as much as I did. I think you touched one of the possible selling
1: points of these old text adventures. The fact that... Since you're only given text in the screen, you have to imagine everything else. And this, well, it could be something that many modern gamers don't really appreciate, but it did work for you, and it also worked for me. And this this particular game, I think it's one of the most um, um, puzzling or disorienting In a sense, not just because of those six directions, you can also go up and down, but uh, it never mentions the exits clearly. It it never Mm -hmm. tells you there's a door north or a path east, so you know how to get out of that location. You have to try. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because sometimes it irritated me that I had to try six directions. But some other times, it really gave me one of those gotcha moment when I thought I had tried everything and instead I didn't. There was some hidden exit that I didn't notice first and I had to go back and try to sweep all the possible walls and ceiling and floor for exits and found another one. And then I thought, oh, I should have thought about that. And in addition to this, the map is not so regular, isn't it? You you did notice while I was trying to draw it down that the picture came out quite horrible because sometimes you think that if you go east, south, west, north, then you are back to the starting place. But maybe not because not all the rooms are same size or shape and there are these intricacies that made my my drawing fail but also give you a little bit more immersion, you just have to imagine okay, I'm there so what kind of route did I take to get here am I sure there isn't another room here between those that I visited like that it could be reached in some other way it's kind of complicated and disorienting, but in a nice way. And I think that's a little bit of an art to make a text adventure like that, to avoid the obvious and make it a little bit more challenging.
0: I think it all made sense when you put it all together and you drew it. I think if you'd have drawn it slightly differently, it would have come together really nicely, that map. In fact, when we finished that, I was... Desperate to go and and Google if someone's done renditions of those rooms and, and actually of the castle's rooms, like a cut, a cut through, I don't know how you say it, when you, when you cut something through and you can see all the rooms inside, I would have loved to see something like that done by an artist. Um, It just, it just felt lovely. in
1: Three dimensions.
0: And I only played another text adventures with with you. And that was as well, same thing. I think it, it did trigger my imagination to work much harder in in some ways. And it gave me lots of personalized scenarios for myself that my brain would come up with. And yes, you're right. Some of the rooms were quite difficult to navigate. There was the one with the mirrors that I remember. And that one was very, uh, it was a bit frustrating for me because you, yeah, it it takes an IQ level that I do not have (laughs) to, to understand that it's giving you (laughs) <laughs> it's giving you a, uh, a different message here. It doesn't say it's blocked, but you can't go and you and you keep crashing into the mirror, bonk, 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 until it opens up. So you have to try sometimes. I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm not sure how many people are actually going to try this game because it's in Italian. So the, those little things, those little nuances, um, I, th- I think they were nice. They were a bit frustrating back then when I remember, but then now I think about it in hindsight. I think, oh, that was... Quite nice, touched, really. So I quite enjoyed it. And it was good that you had already played some of it. So Yeah.
1: But you mentioned also something uh, very important that I've been thinking that these games, even though they are technically one-player games, they're so much better if you play them with a friend or two. Because there are things that if you don't get it right... Same goes for point-and-click adventures, right? If you don't get the idea right, the solution right quickly enough, you get frustrated, uh, you have to maybe adopt a brute-force approach sometimes, like try everything with every object in every room or something like that. But when you are with a friend or two, well, of course, everyone's going to have its own uh, initiative and ideas. And I think that you immediately did something that I hadn't thought before in the same location and it was the right thing to do. So who knows how long I, I, I would have struggled in that location without your help. But on the other hand, uh, I had immediately the right idea in other places like the airplane, the first scene. It didn't come to your mind. It came to mind immediately. It was the first thing I, I tried really to get out of the plane. So it it's a game that has an... Surprisingly social side to it, in my opinion.
0: I agree on text adventures and on point and click adventures as well. So I, I recall I used to go to my friend's house and play Monkey Island, and I remember um, having spending quite a, a bit of time figuring out the sword fighting, which is, that is an iconic part of Monkey Island. And we played Loom together as well it was great times and it, it does add to the experience with someone it's much better and sometimes though when you both get frustrated i think the fr- frustration f- fuels each other's frustration so it, get, it can get really bad it, you know end up in a fight or something but but it does um it it does help to firm with the experience
1: speaking of personal uh, sides also i don't know if you remember but um we used to have in uh, in our block in the city where i lived as a as a kid uh, there was a a big building with a complex basement structure lots of rooms and corridors and we called it the labyrinth me and my friends called it like that and uh we were terrified by that and we we still wanted to go every now and then and explore that area which was nothing really but cellars of private apartments but it was oh. complicated and sometimes we went there just to see how it looked like and what we could find there and you could kind of wander around these corridors for a while before finding the right exit wow. it was pretty big and i I was very scared by it when I was a kid, and my friends forced me to get into it a few times. But I wonder if that has left something within me because I am so always interested in games that have an exploration side, particularly when you don't even know the size and shape of the location where you are. So uh, a maze or something like that. All those kinds of games fascinate me for a reason. And I wonder if it was for this little child experience.
0: It sounds like a, a Goonies experience.
1: Yeah, a little bit, not that epic. No. I don't think anyone would really want to make a movie out of it, but but it was some part of our childhood experience.
0: I never experienced anything similar. I've never been on... Adventures where I have to discover stuff like with people like that. There, were, oh, there was some. Oh yeah, we did go out sometimes, but never, never to in places that were to explore. I don't have any such memories, but it does sound awesome to listen to you really? say that. I, yeah,
1: I, I have. I have others. Maybe I'll tell you <laughs> some other time. But no, no. Well, I, I would say that the most, the biggest one. I think I told you this before, but there used, there used to be a skyscraper in um, nearby where I lived. There's an area with, with skyscrapers. Don't think New York like skyscrapers or Dubai like skyscrapers. There's very small skyscrapers. But still, for my hometown, they were interesting. And there was one of these, I think the first one they built, when it was still under construction, we went exploring it, which is something absolutely I would never suggest to anyone. That's very dangerous. And we were, of course, kids wanting to do dangerous things. But so it was also probably illegal to, to get inside that under construction building. But I remember that others had been exploring it on a summer. And one day they took me to that. Skyscraper, so we went up until uh, the topmost floor, which is a helicopter landing place. And one of my friends.
0: I remember these buildings, I I, I've seen it. them from the motorway. I remember.
1: Okay, yeah, well, it's part of the skyline of my hometown nowadays. And there was this friend of mine, really mean who had been there before already, <laughs> he knew already what was on the top of this uh, building. There was this helicopter landing area, circular area, and just outside of it, there was, that's maybe a little hard for me to explain in English, but let say a walkway for technicians and construction workers. It was safe, but it was like one meter below the level of this uh, floor, of the landing floor. It was safe, but you couldn't see that area from where you ended up in the middle of this landing pad. So this nice friend of ours started running and pretended he was jumping off the building. And of course, he landed just one meter below. Totally safe. But man, I think my heart stopped for that half a second when I saw him jumping and down. Dead. And I still remember vividly and I still hate this friend <laughs> for that kind of joke. We should have never, of course, climbed that building. Well, climbed from the stairs, obviously. But but uh, it was not safe. And But I think that this these small life experiences, childhood experiences, make always me so interested in every game that has an exploration side. So, for instance, I love role-play games, like the famous Dungeons and & Dragons. And I know that most of people i played played with those kind of games, they expect the battles, they want to, to fight monsters and things like that. But my favorite part, is when you have a new place, dark and dangerous place, and you have to explore it and figure out the layout, what's inside, is there any secret, any doors, any traps, anything like that. That, That's always my favorite part in those kind of games, as well as in computer games. And I think it must be because of our dreaded childhood (laughs) (laughs) games.
0: I didn't know you had so many adventures.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, we did.
0: (laughs) Wow, you had more (laughs) than me and I was out in
1: the countryside. Oh, well. Probably before we had computer games to play with, actually. We were Uh, younger than that.
0: The good old times, no computers. Imagine the world without computers now. By the way, did you
1: check out the video game magazines that I have given you when we met? Yes.
0: So I read one in the plane. and. Boy, they're so nice. They're so nice. So I, I had a few at home, but I never got around to reading them. So being on the plane and having that to read was quite nice, actually. So, it so which opened... one was that? Well, you, you've given me, well, they're obviously Italian magazines, so no one can relate to this, but it was called K, it's the letter K, 24th, January, 1991. So these are the magazines, similar to English magazines where like zap 64, or I don't know any, I don't know any of the Amiga ones, or, or I don't know any of the English ones, but they, they do contain uh, the news previews, what's coming out in the video game industry, what uh, tips and tricks, cheats, walkthroughs. They were all in a magazine back in the time in Italy and opening them up and reading them well, first of all, I discovered there are some games that oh, I, I, ne- I have to play, and I had forgotten about them. One is Cruise for a Corpse, Draken. I used to hate Draken, but it looks really nice now in hindsight. Railroad Tycoon. I think I've never played the first one that ever came out. Swords and Galleons. I don't know how you pronounce that. Galleons, Galleons. Blitzkrieg. There's quite a few that I think, oh, it looks quite nice. for for that time and i'd like to test them and play them and so that that's one of the side effects that reading this magazine has had also reading the reviews of some of the game is quite nice They're very simple there's not many expectations so and also the games are very easy and again very simple in how they were laid out as a platform as a puzzler it's a shoot-em-up It was a defined structure. People were trying to find new avenues to explore in in the different genres, but they were very small steps. So the genre still remained quite simple and what they wrote about it was quite nice. And then the third thing that I think really made me think of this, this is some form of gem that's being lost in time are the solutions and the walkthroughs that are written in these magazines that are, I don't know if they're all available nowadays, but. Oh, man. And the cheats. Some of the cheats. I don't think people know some of the cheats. There's so much stuff crammed into this magazine that, that is, I think, probably lost in time. There's maps. People who have drawn maps of everything, like 3D maps, uh, isometrics, sorry, maps, different layers. There are solutions. There are walkthroughs. There's cheat. Um, uh, one for speedball, one for gods, for example, from the Bitmap Brothers. And, uh, it's a trove of, it's a treasure chest for me and, and i've got loads at home i haven't seen them but given the time i would like to go back and look at them all and play those games and the cruise for a corpse so i think i've played that once upon a time but then never went back to it so it was really nice uh, again another warm and cozy feeling which many probably identify with nostalgia i guess but oh, man, do I want to try those games now.
1: Yeah, I think those magazines are really like a trip to the past, even more than just the the games themselves, but the, the atmosphere around the scene. I always wonder how did they manage to figure out the cheats? Did they have some inside information? Because um, the walkthroughs and the maps, I can imagine you can compile by playing, but the cheats... Did they try every possible key combination or something like that to see if it was a cheat? I don't think so. But as for reviews, I'm not so interested in reading those old reviews that much. I think that they were a little bit too focused on the technical aspects like the graphics and the sounds because it was an era where the competition was in getting better graphics every time. And nowadays, um, it's not really that important for me. I would rather read about the playability of games or the longevity of games or the replayability in some cases. But uh, indeed, you can find some games that you have completely forgotten that they existed because, of course, we all remember the famous ones, the successful ones, but there were a lot more. And it's always nice if you can find a... Hidden gem or forgotten treasure in in one of those magazines. Yeah. Uh,
0: before we move on, though, I wanted to spend a moment to say thank you for the snacks. So Diego's given me a lot of bag of snacks from Finland. Okay. I think I can say with quite a degree of certainty that Finland snacks are probably the best I've ever had. Oh, they're so good. They're I don't know. Uh, you have to test them. There's so, so many of them you've brought to me and. We've eaten them nearly all in the house here. They're really amazing. I mean, they're all vegan, uh so they're all plant-based stuff. But they're like the crackers. I've I've kept some packets as well. Just for um, I want some more, <laughs> please. They're so good. The lentils sure are so are. good. The, the little ones and oh, yeah, the spicy ones those were amazing. Yeah, Do you yeah. like them. Well, we liked everything. They my favorite. The best bit was those big big uh, roasted crackers i don't remember with all the seeds in those were just so good and then what else do we have the obviously the oat crisps those are incredible everything's really amazing and obviously the the usual beans and pulses that have been fried deep fried i think or, or toasted i don't i don't know those were extremely good so anyone who wants to grab some really really good snacks Order them from Finland, or ask Diego to send you back. All right. (laughs) Okay,
1: (laughs) let's go back to talking about games.
0: I'll just uh, run you past a couple of things that I've been up to, um, hardware-wise. So I've got my uh, Lazarus Lazarus three D print from a guy in Italy. So I was didn't mention I I got um, a Pi Storm with with a Pi Zero, and it attaches now on. The side of my Amiga for a music project, and because of the kids putting their fingers in it and it was getting a lot of dust, I did manage to get a 3D print from a, a guy in Italy, which sent it over to my dad, and I got it from there. Then I'm still I'm still repairing Pixie's PSU. It's taking me two months <laughs> to repair. Uh, slowly getting there. Got some new RAM for the Mike Pentium, and I wanted to send out a big shout out to Mega Cat Studios. So, uh, Mega Cat Studios is a publisher, and I hope I'm saying all this correctly. They publish new games for all platforms and they publish some really good ones. I think I covered one, well, a demo, at least in the previous episode it's called Phantom Gear, which is quite frankly stunning. And they've been so kind we reached out to them to say, you know, we're, we're covering these games, but um, maybe if they could help us out and send us some free games to, to talk about on the show. And they did um for free they sent me a whole bunch of mega drive games which we will slowly cover and one of them is going to be on the show uh hopefully later on in the year in our plan on how we do the episodes we thought that it would be nice to cover as many different platforms as we can and try and alternate them a bit and we've just done a mega drive game so we'll get back to them but not in the near future we're going to try and cover a bit more ground with other platforms before, but we'll get there. And when we get there, we'll do a game from Mega Cat Studios, and we'll hopefully have an interview with one of them, which is going to be very exciting. Right. So game side, I have had a look at um, a couple of games this time. So one is Zeta Wing 2 by Sarah Jane Avery, which, like the first one, looks marvellous. Great programmer, I must
1: say. I'm a fan of Sarah Jane, mainly because of Riley Witch Chronicles, but I think that Zeta Wing 2 is a shooter map, yes. isn't it? Uh, not exactly my favourite cup of tea, but I think that I've seen some preview, and they, it looks quite nice. There are some nice graphics there nice graphical ideas like this uh, parallax that instead of being the usual horizontal parallax it goes like deep into the screen where you are navigating on top of a sort of chasm i think uh it caught got my attention for a bit so might be worth checking out even though i'm not really into shoot maps but why do you mean not? what
0: what you say with the chasm do you mean like? Uh... Very simply the background
1: scrolling terrain, so to speak. But I like this idea that it moves in parallax as you fly by this canyon. And just a small bit, yeah. but nice.
0: Always on the C64, Sir Arthur. So it is uh, a rendition in Petsky or petschi or however you say it, of the goals and ghosts or ghosts and goblins. I think there's two versions or one's a bootleg. I'm not sure, but ghosts and goblins uh, for the C64, believe it or not, they've done that all with characters on the keyboard. It obviously it doesn't look anywhere near like the, the arcade version, but it's quite impressive in my opinion. And, and I'm quite looking forward to having a look at it when it's finished.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that uh, it it's more of a curiosity perhaps, but, uh, on the other so- on the other end, it's kind of brilliant to explore the <laughs> ASCII characters in order to create graphics and replicate uh, a game that normally is in bitmap. And uh, I think it takes quite a good amount of patience to ex- explore the character maps, and then also some some talent in in, in using those symbols to to recreate shapes and everything. So it it looks very weird when you look at it because it's almost in text mode graphics. But then you can definitely tell that's a tree, that's a skeleton, that's a plant, things like that, that's a cloud. And uh, it it does, it's a bit hilarious if you want, when you compare it to, to the original one. But it's a very interesting idea. I don't know if they actually went as far as recreating the whole game. Uh, I thought I heard that it was maybe just the first level or something like that. But it's it's definitely an
0: original idea. Yeah, for sure. I was wondering when I was looking at that preview, when the zombies come out of the ground, I think you can see a color clash. And that reminded me of the ZX Spectrum. I don't know if you noticed that.
1: Uh, no, I haven't noticed. But this is for C64. Commodore 60. So it shouldn't suffer from color clash, but if it's made in um, text character mode, uh, then it might be a byproduct of that. So not exactly a color clash as the, the very known or infamous spectrum characteristics, but more just a, a byproduct of the fact that the whole screen is divided in in character areas, so you have to actually uh, replace whatever is there first with another as your character moves on. So you have to also compensate for that, and every character has a limited amount of colors because every every square has only two colors, right?
0: Yeah. I think so. Yeah, because it's a character, so it can be just the background and the foreground. One last question. How is the search for hardware going? Have you made your mind up or what are you going to do? Ah, no, no, that's still up in the air. Let's, we'll talk about it later, but
1: made no decision so far.
0: Oh, good. Well, I have um, a small thing that I found. It's called Playdate, I don't don't know if uh, any of you are aware, but it's a small Game Boy-like machine that is nearly ready for production and for for selling. Uh, You can find it on play.date. I just saw it and I thought it was a brilliant idea, Uh, very original, I won't say brilliant, but very original. It's like, it looks like a teeny, teeny game boy with a black and white screen. And it's got the, the D pad. So it's um, four directions and two buttons, A and B. And then it has something that I've never seen anywhere else, a crank on the side. It's a crank that comes out from the side and you can turn it around and all the games that are on there, which we'll talk about in two seconds, uh, will make use in somehow or most of them at least make use of this crank and the way you select the game apparently is with a crank it's like a big wheel and you turn the crank and all the games go around and then probably you press a or b i don't know so my idea is if it's affordable and if i can do it i'll probably get um one to review or ask them if they can possibly give us one to test and then send them back but it looks very very innovative at the very least and i've seen some some games run on it and they're fun. They're a bit play and forget kind of games. They're not really probably my cup of tea, or uh, as you said before. It's it's more they're more touch and go games, I think. But they they seem very innovative in the way they use this crank. So I'm quite intrigued about it.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that the crank is the key originality point of this little new handheld. Although It may not be fundamentally that different from a classic paddle, but uh, at least uh, physically it it gives you a different feel. And uh, now the question is, how did I exploit this idea in the game? Because uh, you are supposed to use the crank together as with the with the joystick or keypad and the usual buttons. So altogether, it's another level of control for the games. So let's hope that they have exploited this opportunity for something that plays pretty well. I think that uh, it looks great design-wise. Uh, I can't speak for the games because there is very little on the website to judge them. It might be a little pricey, perhaps, for such a small device. But, well, I I guess that these are the costs implied by not having a massive volume of production. So I think I'll definitely keep an eye on it and see how it works out.
0: Yes, me too. And possibly if if we can get a a unit to test, that would be... Really cool. Can we move on to what we're actually going to talk about today? Yes, that's a good idea. So what is it? <laughs> right. The
1: game we are supposed to talk about today is Sam Mallard, The Case of the Missing Swan, made by Ursh, also known as Snorpang. And what is it? Well, first of all, this game actually exists in two versions for very different machines. An early version for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum and a later version for the Game Boy. And it does play very differently on the two, even though the background story and characters are the same. So on the Spectrum machine, this is basically a simplified text adventure. I say simplified because there's no real parser, so you're not really typing in the commands. You are reading text and then choosing actions from a menu. This makes it very simple and comfortable, so hopefully even people who don't like text adventures might still play this. On the other hand... Ersch has explained that this was his first idea on the game, but already he had in mind to make it a more complicated game. So when he moved to the Game Boy, the game turned into a more action adventure. I don't want to call it point and click because there's no mouse or pointer to use in this game. It's more like move and click. But then you have a character on the screen, you are controlling it, you are moving around different areas. And uh, it's definitely uh, a different game. Overall, you if you have tried it game, you could not have missed the very strong feeling of this story and the and the appearance of the game. This is very classic noir style for this game. The story is a it's a mystery story or a detective story about the disappearance of a character. You are the detective. You are supposed to solve the case. And uh, the twist in the style is that this noir uh, genre or appearance of the game couples with very Disney-style duck-looking characters. So anthropomorphic ducks as the detective the main character and everybody else in this world very unique which kind of gives it yes a very unique and humorous twist to the whole to the whole game well if you haven't tried playing the game uh, on the spectrum as i said it plays kind of like a text adventure but you just have a short menu of very few possible actions You can essentially examine your surrounding, picking up objects, using objects, speak with other characters, not much more than that. It's very intuitive to play. You can also play with the joystick if you prefer, but there's not much point to it because you're just basically navigating up and down the small menu. And you move from one location to another, you get a small Graphical description, small picture, all in black and white to build up the noir feeling. And you directly move to other locations by selecting where you want to go. So there is no classical northeast-southwest commands, But you just tell your character that he has to move to another location. And you have a list of locations that you have figured out. So far, when you find new locations, they appear in the list and so on. The character is just set to travel by foot or by car sometimes to the other locations. So then in the game, you get all the typical challenges of an adventure game. So there's objects that you have to find, figure out how they can be useful for you to solve some puzzles. The game is pretty short, so I think that there were maybe four major puzzles in the Spectrum version. And uh, the story kind of solves its him, itself. You're not really supposed to figure it out. It's the character who figures out the story for you. But um, anyway, I think it makes for, for a nice nice little game that you can probably solve in like half an hour or even less if you're good at these puzzles but then uh, well it turns into something bigger in the the game boy version but uh, what what did you feel about the spectrum version first of all
0: well mostly i think description wise yes i think i i agree with you there's some some a couple of Details I'd like to add for people who haven't seen it or just listening to the podcast. So the screen on Spectrum is split in three areas. So imagine there's two rows, one the bottom, one at the top. The bottom row is where you read the text and then the top row is split in two columns. So you've got one where there's always a picture and then there's one where you have all your actions that you can scroll through. And because it's not a point and click adventure. What happens is that when when you want to do something, you, you, you won't have to go somewhere to do something, you'll have to click the, the verb. So for example, look, speak, examine, take, use, whatever it is. And it will give you a list of, of elements of items that you can interact with, with that specific action. So in, in that way, is it works slightly differently from a point and click. For me, this is a bit of a hybrid. Uh, between a point and click somehow, and a text adventure, as you said, it doesn't have a parser, but it lists the actions and you can choose them. So it, it does feel like a hybrid for me.
1: Well, now that you mention, I I thought so too, but for a different reason, perhaps. That, uh, in my opinion, I I think that uh, what I would call a text adventure is a game where you just interact with the text. I don't really mind if you type. Or if you select the text, that's the same for me. But it's all about reading and then, of course, entering your commands. But a point and click or a graphical adventure, so to speak, is something where the graphics also matter. In a, in a text adventure, you can have graphics. You do have pictures of the locations here. But in a text adventure, those are just for illustrative purpose. It's because they look nice, but it doesn't matter. They don't really matter for the game. In a point-and-click adventure, they do matter usually because you are not told what is the list of objects you can interact with. You have to point, and usually when you hover with a pointer, you can see if there's an object there. Right? If you remember all those Lucasfilm classic adventures Mm. like Indiana Jones. And that's a way to figure out what are the objects in a certain area. Just move the cursor all around the picture until something shows up. Yeah, with the with a small
0: hit point. Like I remember, for example, the gum on Day of the Tentacles are very small. There's small hit spots like Future Wars as well.
1: Yes, yes. So interacting with the picture is an essential part for me to call something a graphical adventure. It doesn't matter if the game has graphics, but you're not interacting with it. It's just a text adventure. But, there's at least one place in this game where this is kind of broken, or meaning that you really have at least to look at the picture. I don't know if you noticed it while you were playing it. I'm not going to say how to solve the puzzle, but I can anticipate there's a room with a safe. You probably want to see if you can open the safe and the puzzle to get to that point requires you to very much look at the picture. So you're not clicking it, but if there wasn't a picture, then the puzzle would not be solvable or it would have had to be a completely different puzzle. I just noticed that this is perhaps the one place in the whole game where you you have to stop calling it a text adventure. It kind of breaks that assumption that the graphics are not important at all.
0: Mm. I didn't do this in-depth analysis of it, but it's a very good point. In fact, I'll add another couple of little bits, and then I think I don't um, have any more to say. Like, So I played on an, an emulator because, again, my ZX Spectrum is waiting on the list to be fixed. And on the emulator, I played with the Q and A arrows to navigate up and down. And the space would actually submit the action that you want to do on that specific item. Graphics are, I think, it's quite, in some ways, it's quite genius because I think Ersch um, wanted to have the like an atmosphere, a noir adventure, as you said before with an RPG game and give it an atmosphere. So using black and white graphics is very, very good choice, I think. And also it, it takes away the risk being on the ZX Spectrum to have any color clash to ruin it. So I thought that was quite a nice touch, to be honest. On the ZX Spectrum, there is no sound in particular. There is just a tap sound when you press an action with space and that's all. So. Not really much to comment on the sound other than there is no sound. Now on the Game Boy version, on the other hand, first of all, it is a completely different experience, starting from an intro screen, which is really gorgeous. So it's a it's a duck sitting on a chair and he's smoking a cigar. Generally speaking on the Game Boy, the experience in my personal opinion is, is incredibly elevated compared to the ZX Spectrum because there are probably the, the processor has got more power, you've got more RAM, and you can do lots of more stuff. So it looks much, much better than the ZX Spectrum. So already the intro screen gives you a good flavor of what it's going to be. Now, the commands on the Game Boy are a bit different. So you don't rely on a list. It looks more like a point and click. Again, it is not a point and click, per se because we'll see in a moment how you navigate around. But the buttons on the Game Boy are allocated to perform certain actions. So A, looks, B, uses, uh, select opens the inventory, and, and start saves the game. And on the Game Boy also, because of the lack of these commands, there is more real estate on, on the screen. So you have where the action happens at the top and the text at the bottom, and that's about it. Then uh, we come to the movement and, uh, let's say, the first, the, how the levels are designed on the Game Boy. On the Game Boy, you actually move Sam Millard around the screen. And it is very well done. Um, you can see on YouTube if you never played it, if you want to have a look. It's just gorgeous. The, gla- the graphics are really glamorous and uh, very, very well done. Um, you can tell a lot of time has been poured into the design and the graphical aspect. For each character, they're all well-defined characters. You can the, the faces are somewhat different. Um, you'll find later on it's very difficult not to spoil, <laughs> but but you can see some characters, let's say their faces and how they're drawn. They're really beautiful, beautifully drawn, beautifully drawn, even if it's a monochrome palette. It's, it's really great and it has a lot of little nice touches in as well that we'll talk about very shortly so how does it work and why do i say it's not a point and click adventure so to move sam Allard you use the arrows so you move him around like a mouse pointer somewhat to the place you want to go and then you either trigger the use or the look and or you can trigger the inventory. So it works slightly different from from the ZX Spectrum in that respect. And you'll get used to this. Another thing that uh, is to note is that on the Game Boy version, there are a few more puzzles compared to the ZX Spectrum. And the navigation system where you actually go somewhere, then again, is very different from the ZX Spectrum. On the Spectrum, as you said, you have a list of places you want to go, and here you've got a map. all of a sudden you've got a pointer of a mouse that you navigate that you control with the with the D pad and you move on the point you want to navigate to and then press B. And if you're meant to go there, it will go there. So it takes some of the complexity of the navigation on the ZX Spectrum out and makes it better and it looks and it looks better with the map as well.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that uh in the Game Boy version the there is more humor in the in the appearance of the character when I first tried the spectrum version and uh, i I had only seen the the presentation graphics of this game, which is actually top notch on each dot i o and uh, I thought that this was going to be a humor humorous or humoristic game because of the duck characters. But then when you actually play it on Spectrum, it's not that humorous. And uh, the the vibe is already different in the Game Boy version. You see the character moving around and even just the simple animation of the character walking as well as the other characters in the story makes it a little bit more funny and lighthearted than the Spectrum version. So I think it's a step up in terms of graphic definitely and graphic feel.
0: Yes, uh, totally, totally with you.
1: There is also room for many very nice finishing touches on the Game Boy. Mm. One of my favorite is, I think that's pretty much the first location, but where you're in the office and you see the beams of light getting into the otherwise dark room, it's a very small thing. But to me, it really, really builds up on the noir feeling of this game. And all these small uh, details in certain objects, I think my absolute favorite location was the spice shop. That was really, that almost blew me away in, in the details. It's really,
0: really well taken care of. Yes. Yes, agreed. It is, it is very well done. I don't know if you noticed as well, with, when you move Sam Mallard in the light, he becomes lit up as well. Did you notice that? So, for example, if you yeah, that that's all that kind of stuff. And also, there's someone behind the bar. I will say that, and you can see the little uh, white reflections in her eyes as well. It's so much detail, very gorgeous. Okay, so before we delve too deep into what we think of Samalad, let's hear from one of our listeners. Can you guess who it is? Yeah, it's good old Mads.
2: Hi, this is Mass from the Retro Asylum podcast. So, where do I start? First off, I guess, thank you for starting this podcast. This has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, one that I really look forward to. And uh, it's so nice to be part of a gaming club that I'm not actually hosting myself. So, I'm really looking forward to participating for a long time to come. And I love that you're shining a light of those titles, modern titles made for the retro systems, because that's definitely a niche that uh, isn't covered enough in the podcasting scene, I think. So onto the game, Sam Mallard. I played the the Game Boy version, and what a wonderful little experience. Um, My only critique really is that the graphics, which look really, really nice, are very dark because it's a noir detective story, and that's quite hard to actually see on the original Game Boy Color screen that I was playing on. But I found myself a a nice spot on the couch, just uh, leaning towards the window, lying down at the right angle, and everything was uh, perfect anyway. It's a really, really nice little uh, point-and-click adventure experience. It's not too taxing. All of the puzzles are actually really nice, apart from from one puzzle. There's one puzzle that has you looking at the same object three times, and it, it needs to be three times in the same visit to that area. And if you don't do that well you won't find a very important well inventory item that you need to uh, to get further in the game but apart from that one annoying puzzle i really enjoyed the game it was um wasn't too taxing it was a nice little experience the story was nice the setting was nice and and most of all the graphics were exquisite. I mean, it was so beautiful on that little Game Boy screen once I I got the right angle there. So uh, thanks for shining a light on this title. It was something that was uh, completely under the radar for me, so I'm glad that I picked it up and played it, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Bye. Well, thank you, Matt, for this clip. Glad you enjoyed it. It certainly is a beautiful
0: game. Now, Diego, what did you think about it? Well,
1: um, I think it's very nice production, so to speak. Everything about the game, even the the packaging, if you buy the, the tape version for uh, the Spectrum, everything is really professional, looks very professional. As for the gameplay, well, it's a very short game on both versions and particularly on the Spectrum version. But uh, I, I think that It was very playable. The puzzles were not too difficult, not too simple, so it gave me some nice time to play it out. Perhaps it would have been even better if I didn't play the Spectrum version first because uh, the Game Boy version has the same story, same characters, same puzzle, plus a couple more, Same location, plus also a few more. So it's a little extended compared to the Spectrum. But of course, I already knew almost everything, so I also went quite quickly through the Game Boy version. Maybe if I had just played that straight away, uh, it would have lasted a bit longer, because I would have had to figure out everything again. But... uh, it's it makes for a very nice game certainly and uh it it leave, leaves you with the feeling that this should be the first of a series because you're you are introduced the main detective character and uh the even the title of the game sounds like an episode in the life of this detective so I re- I really wish that there were more episodes. Yeah, same here. But that, of course, depends on Ersch if he's interested in building up more on the story of Sam Mallard or just doing some other developments. I think that uh, in terms of playabilities, it was probably a good idea to to have a menu-based user interface rather than the parser. I think, given that the very short list of actions that the game supports, a parser would there be would ha- would have been an overkill. Really, here there's no need to develop a whole parser for just these few possible actions, and it would have probably alienated many many gamers there. So it also avoids a lot of possible pitfalls with the parser. There are some. Some things that could be seen as pitfalls here, but that depends how you watch them. For instance, some things in the game might be a bit of a red herring that they don't really have a purpose, but they can lead you off track, trying to do things that don't really advance the story. That's either a bonus or a liability in these kind of games, because on one hand, it makes things not that obvious. It's not so obvious that there isn't something to do in every location or something to do with every single object you find. But on the other hand, if the player has that expectation, then it can get angry by needlessly trying to do lots of actions with one object, and then it turns out that it's a red herring. It's useless. So, I would leave that uh, on each player's opinion to to judge whether it's it's a good or a bad thing. It didn't bother me, but that's something maybe to keep an eye for. I don't know, how did you find uh, the puzzles? I found them quite easy overall. Not too easy, but mostly easy, but that's perhaps because I have played many of these games, but What do
0: you think of them? I think they're fairly easy. And um, though for me, they are hindered sometimes by how the um, the control system works, if that makes any sense. There was one point where I got stuck for a while because you have to search for something somewhere. No spoilers here. But it's a bit like that thing with the text adventure that we played where you have to redo the action again and then something different happens. But once you've done it for me, it's done and dusted. Because I come from a background of LucasArts, it's, I think it was more uncommon then that you did an action over and over again to obtain a different result. And so I don't tend to do it. I tend to try and do something and if it doesn't work, I forget about it. In this case, some uh, some puzzles did have that recurring thing where you had to redo a thing again, an action again. and. Then it worked. So in that respect, I think it was um, okay. The puzzle layout, how they were made, it was simple. There's, there's quite a nice little one that you'll find in an office. And I think that was nice. That was nice. It wasn't too difficult. I took me a couple of attempts and I got it right. And so I think it's calibrated quite well for people who want to not get stuck. And yeah, I agree with you that it could have been longer, and it, it made me want more. And I was hoping this was a an episodic thing, but it's not apparently. He's not planning on making any more. Mm, yeah, probably
1: not. But it has all the potentials to become like yes, classic character for sure.
0: Um, there are some bits that I had to get used to. For example, navigation on the spectrum wasn't as straightforward as I as I thought it was. So, for example, you if you want to go somewhere, you have to get out, go to the car, use the car. Okay, makes sense. Then you get the destination, you go to destination, and then you've got like a tree, a tree navigation. So you can get, for example, to Chinatown, but then in Chinatown, you have to go, and then you go to a, a side alley. And then again, my, my coming from LucasArts, I could explore everywhere, but if I couldn't go in a place, it was there, but I couldn't get in. In some alert, instead, locations appear. So there's something you do to trigger an extra location. You think, oh, what am I supposed to do now? Because I've seen all the locations, but now you have to go back and go into the tree navigation at the bottom list and you'll find there's another entry then. And yes, this did confuse me a little bit. It wasn't a major detractor from anything, but it was a bit like, oh, hang on a minute, maybe I would have done this better. And then at least, I don't know if it was on my emulator. I had a bit of an issue with, uh, with the keys. I need to try on, on the original hardware. So the Q and A would auto repeat themselves very quickly. So I find myself holding the Q and A to get to the option and pressing the space. And it would choose the wrong option, the wrong action or the wrong item that I was going to do that. And that was a bit annoying, but again, not a, a game changer. An example of this was the phone number. There is a moment where you have to input a phone number. I always wondered why he didn't allow for inputting with a keyboard, like just the numbers. That would have been so much easier, but instead you have to use the Q&A to go to the numbers and then move to the next one with space until you get to the end and then it will dial the number. And I found that so tricky at times with a keyboard that wouldn't work. So I had to really wait, focus on the keyboard and press Q slowly to to test out and maybe it didn't work. <laughs> so, yes, that, that mm-hmm. I think was my major gripe, I think.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yes, it could have been better. But, but it was also a nice touch, I think, that phone dialing thing. Yeah. Um, I had that in mind in a game that now escapes me, but I think I've seen it before a long time ago. Um, probably it was also um an adventure game, but now I can't remember what was that, but it's nice because if you have a phone in a game and you know you can dial numbers, I think you probably want to try something at least and see what happens yeah like, of course, there is one number you have to figure out that will really serve your purpose for for the story, but also, why not trying others? And, uh, well, I, d- I didn't manage to get any, any how do you say, Easter egg or something like that out of that phone. Mm-hmm. But maybe there is, and I just didn't find it. But it always le- left me wondering. Mm. Uh, by the way, did you actually finish the game? Yes. In both versions? I did Both of them?
0: Okay. No, no. Well, I'd say I didn't finish the Game Boy version. But okay. we, I did look at it on, I, I did quite a bit on it. Did you go as far as noticing the additional
1: puzzles, at least? Yes.
0: So I saw uh, the puzzle of the Peppers, for example.
1: All right. That's a very logical puzzle, unlike the others. And uh, did you manage to get past the guard?
0: Uh, I think I I stopped there. And I thought, oh, and then because of time constraints, mainly.
1: Okay, okay. Not going to give you any spoilers, right? But... That's an additional puzzle that isn't in in the Spectrum version. And it's possibly more spread around than the other puzzles. Not something that you can start and finish in that location, so to speak. And that was a little bit uh, surprising to me compared to the level of the other puzzles. And also it fooled me big time because of the fact that I had played the Spectrum version. And maybe that is the only reason why, after all, it wasn't that bad to play the Spectrum version, because it did fool me that I thought I knew what to do in a place for the Spectrum version. And that's exactly what I did also when I played the Game Boy. But in the Game Boy version, there was something else in the same place. Right. And that had to do also with this additional puzzle. But I thought that I knew what to do in that location because I had already play, played that scene in the other version and thought it was over. Instead, it wasn't over. So maybe that's why I don't thoroughly regret playing Spectrum version first and Game Boy later on because it, it did give me this additional satisfaction when I
0: figured out the letter. You know what tripped me up a couple of times as well? You can't use... Everything from the location it's in. So you remember how we said on the spectrum, you you press the action. You say use, or take, or examine and then you get a list of items. So sometimes there was something on the table, and you say use, and it would say no, I can't use it. You have to then take it, open the inventory, and then use it, and then it would actually trigger
2: mm-hmm.
0: a consequence mm-hmm. that that didn't. I didn't yeah. trigger on that. Some items work that way. Some of them don't which was a, um, a part that confused me for a little
1: bit. I think that works better on the Game Boy. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've been wondering if Ersch had already been thinking forward and then kind of had to take a step back on the Spectrum version, because on the Spectrum version, yes, it makes you ask, why. why can't I just use this? Why do I have to pick it up and then use it? It feels more natural on the Game Boy, but... There's no need for these two steps on the spectrum. It could have been just immediate. If the object, at least, has to be used or is supposed to be used in that place. But if you are supposed to take it with you to another place, then everything changes.
0: How was the mystery? Like, for me, it wasn't too unexpected, but also wasn't very surprising at the end.
1: Well, I thought it was kind of simple, to be honest. But... (laughs) nothing nothing major nice plot twist but for me it was a bit telegraphed to be honest <laughs> but it's not a, it's not a serious gripe for me i i enjoyed the game nevertheless the story itself wasn't my primary reason to to play the
0: game it was like more the nice background to it makes you wonder why they don't make another one ursh doesn't make another one i think if you'd make a series, it would probably also gain more traction and have more success. I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I I'm still about still about the story. I the only thing I noticed I didn't really like is that it kind of ended a bit too quickly. There's a point where I thought I was about halfway, or I was hoping I was halfway. And then there was a lot of talking by the other characters. In a couple of scenes, and then it just rushed me to the end of the story. And that kind of left me a bit like, mm, it could have been a bit more interactive at the end instead of just reading these
0: final couple of scenes. But, but well, but that, that's how it is. Yeah. I, well, just as a, as a side note, I would like to add that I, I played it as well on the original Game Boy and i have to say compared to the emulator the experience already very different the game boy screen doesn't really lend itself i think personally to have too much dark too many dark pixels so i have an unmodified one and you really struggle especially me i do maybe it's my age but i really struggle to see some of the text or some of the Items in the dark rooms, because as you might know, it's not backlit the Game Boy, so it's just a dot matrix uh, screen with an an LCD dot matrix monochrome, and it's very, very difficult to figure out what's going on uh, if you don't have some form of mod. That's all. I think I don't have anything else to add about yourself.
1: Yes, so well, my bottom line about Semillard is that it's a very short but nice game that I thoroughly recommend, and I actually recommend both versions, so it could make for a nice evening or a very short nice evening perhaps to play through the story either on the Spectrum or the Game Boy. But I thoroughly recommend it, and it's available for free on each.io. Or if you want, it's also for just a few bucks available on tape for the Spectrum. And it's a very nice looking tape. So even just because of that, I will recommend
0: you to get it. Right. So this brings us to our next entry. If you want to introduce what we're going to be playing the next time. So for
1: next time, we are planning to cover our first game for the Commodore Amiga. The game is called Inca Man by Johnny Acevedo. And you can find it also on each.eo, developed by the Amiten
0: group. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for us. It's time to go and play some of those games. Games, that's what it's all about. Before we say goodbye, a shout out to the guys at Retro Asylum. Everyone there is incredibly supportive and kind. But we want to thank Mads especially for being so involved. And uh, really, we don't understand how you find time for everything. We really don't. If you want to play along with us, that would be amazing. And if you want to send us your clip, that would be even more amazing. You can find us on our website, www.newgameofflame.com, and join our Discord server from there. Or if you are a Retro Asylumers listener, as you should be, you can find our channel on their server as well. If you're posting clips, you can do so on Discord, but you can also post them or write them to us at game at newgameofflame.com. Feel free to write to us if you you have any other questions you'd like to ask. We'll read your emails on the show. If you can do so, please send us your contributions at least four days before the show airs. For now, see you next time and stay safe. Bye. Happy gaming.